Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We are your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today we are joined by Jack C. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Good. Fantastic. Weather's actually starting to turn down here, and uh, yeah, it's good. Where are you from? I'm from New Jersey. All right. And uh, when were you first introduced to recovery? Um, I actually grew up in in a household filled with recovery. Um, oh. My my mother was in recovery, so but I got introduced as an adult in recovery when I needed it uh, back in 2012. All right. And uh, how long have you been clean? Uh, it's been, I think, about six and a half years. My clean date is November 6, 2012. Nice. All right. Well, that's amazing. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to you to uh, share your story with us. So take her away. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much. Again, um, my name is Jexie, and I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. I I had started using, like, early on. I was one of those people that, like, experimented with everything in high school and college. Like, really, my favorite drug for most of my life was whatever you had. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really discriminate. I didn't have a hard time using anything. I didn't even need to know what it was. But yeah. it, it wasn't controlling my life the way that it does for most addicts until um, a couple years before I got clean. Uh, I got married in 2006, mm-hmm. and my husband at the time, I'm, I'm divorced now, but my husband at the time, was a wounded uh, war vet. Oh, wow. And so he was on a lot of pain medication. Yeah. And what happened was, is over the years, his mental and physical illnesses continued to get worse. Mm. And I felt like very, very alone a lot of the time, very, I don't know, like very isolated. He didn't want to hug me. He didn't want to be intimate, anything like that. And Mm -hmm. so I was very, very alone, but he started to be okay with sharing like old pills he had that he wasn't taking anymore. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, this is a good time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so it was like so much easier to, you know, like, oh, well, if we're not going to like act like husband and wife, like we can at least be using partners. Like I can get behind that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, so that was kind of the start of the, the real problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he had so many, especially ones that he didn't take anymore, that he's just like, here, you know, he used to carry him around in a backpack. Um, so for years, then, I used opiates on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and they destroyed my life. Oh, yeah. Um, they were very quickly... Um, I was stealing them from him, and he actually, I remember the morning that he was at work and the police knocked on my door and they served me with uh, papers. He had press charges against me for stealing his pills. Whoa. This was my husband. Whoa. Holy and shit. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, he had told me he wanted to divorce. We got separated and my sickness was so bad at the time. He had one of those cars where you could kind of like hit the button to unlock the door and he never changed the code after we got separated. Mm-hmm. And so when I knew he was at places like the supermarket, I would follow him. Like I would go wait, you know, until he was in the store for a few minutes. And then I would break into his car, like steal like just a couple of pills to get by. And then I would leave. Oh, shit. And it, yeah, it was really, really bad. And he finally caught on to the fact that I was still stealing it from while we were separated and I remember the day he called me, I was on my way out to eat with a friend Mm -hmm. and he called, he sent me a text message and he said, I found you a bed at a rehab. Do you want to go? And he happened to send that message at like that very moment where like in my head, I was like, you know, please help. Like, I just Mm -hmm. don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to keep using this life. Isn't what I want. Like I need help. And then I got that text message and I like, totally took it as a sign, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, so the next day I wanted to, I wanted to rehab and I have to say that like that was a huge 
a huge change for me. Um, we did end up getting back together for a bit, mm -hmm. um, for a few years. I actually, we just separated again in September of 2017. And the reason I, I sit, talk a little bit about him is because I had a lot of issues I had to deal with clean. And probably the bulk of what I share now about my recovery is the, the hardships I had to get through clean and not choose using. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of stories out there where people talk about, you know, their their addiction stories and their, you know, when they first get introduced. Mm -hmm. um, for me, the hardest part of my recovery wasn't the beginning. It was when I had just under five years clean, yeah. when I was like really had the hardest time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, in we had been back together for. Shortly after I got out of rehab, we got back together, and then we like bought a house, and everything was great. And uh, but he had a lot of issues with being overprescribed uh, pain medications. Yeah, and it had gotten very bad. And he and it wasn't even like anything that was his fault at the time. But I was living in a household my entire recovery filled with my drug of choice, mm -hmm. and mm. that is not something I I would ever recommend to anybody no. living in a house full of drugs when you're trying to stay clean is ridiculously hard. Oh yeah. Um, how the only, the only reason that I was able to stay clean through all that was because of the fact that I had a lot of people that I spoke to in recovery. I got involved in a recovery program that I, you know, I participated in regularly. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I surrounded myself with other recovering addicts. And I needed to do that. Like, thank goodness, you know, mm -hmm. like, thank goodness. I, I found out early on that I didn't have to do this alone. And that was huge for me. And so um, his decline was pretty bad. And he became like, he had a lot of brain damage. And he became like very emotionally and verbally abusive mm -hmm. um, to the point where it was no longer safe for myself or my children to stay in the house. Yeah. But, like, I really thought I was doing the right thing by staying, even though I was miserable every day. And I equate it very much to that feeling I had right before I got clean, where, like, I would wake up every day miserable, but I didn't think there was anything I could do to change it. Ooh. And I was just living that way because I, I didn't... I didn't think I had any options. Like, mm -hmm. I wanted out, but I didn't think I could, you know? And then I got clean, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have done this sooner, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's exactly how I was living with just, you know, for years. Um, I was waking up every day miserable, like, not wanting this to be my life, but thinking that I was doing what was right for my children. And until the day I realized that it, it wasn't. Yeah. And uh, I had found out he had stolen a bunch of jewelry of mine and my daughter's. Um, I went to the pawn shop, like down the jewelry and I was like, oh my God, like I, we lived in such a rural area. There was only one pawn shop that yeah. would be there or nowhere, you know? That's pretty lucky. And, um, yeah. And I had like a, uh, like it really was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Today's the day I need to make change. Why? And it was funny because. Why was yeah, he, like, why was he like stealing like, the jewelry? I, I still have no, he had a job where he had like really good money, but it, the money was disappearing. And I, to be honest, I don't even really know what happened. Huh. Um, he, he like his decline, he was disappearing for hours at a time. It may have been gambling. It may have been other drugs. I don't know. Okay. Um, I never really found out. He was like a totally different person hmm. and he was taking like massive amounts for a while. He was, he had gotten off of, um, the medications that he was taking from a doctor and it, it had done some long-term damage. Yeah. And it's actually like, he has like a lawsuit about it and stuff, but um, hmm. it, it did some real damage. And so he became like a different person and he like really didn't like me. Hmm. And he would just say mean things to me all the time. Like he'd be like, if you want to leave, like just go. But like, I had nowhere to go. I yeah. mean, I guess I did, but I, I didn't think I had options, you mm -hmm. know? And it wasn't until we were about to lose the house and lose our cars and he wasn't paying the water bills or the electric bills. And I was like, this is not a safe place for the kids. Like, he wouldn't even give me money to buy milk for my children. Oh. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. But I, I stayed for like a really long time because of that same fear, like the same fear that kept me in active addiction, like kept me in this really bad relationship. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
so I remember the day that I left, like I called my family. I even called his family. They're like, it's time to go. I was like, yes, you're right. I'm, I'm ready. I called people who are also in recovery. Like they're all like, oh my gosh, you're finally Like everybody knew I needed to leave except for me. Mm-hmm. Just like everybody knew I needed to get clean except for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like I'm always the last one to know what I need to do. It's funny how and that works. <laughs> once I made... Yeah, and it was, I totally pulled, like, an addict move because I was like, I need to leave, so I'm going to leave next week. <laughs> and, like, my family's like, that's ridiculous. If you need to leave, like, then you need to leave now. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but, and I realized I was doing those same excuses that I would do in, in active addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can't, I can't go to rehab now, mm-hmm. you know? And, um... I was like, forget it, we're going. And I called a friend in recovery who came over to my house, like helped me pack up my stuff. And like, I left within hours. And like, I literally, my kids and I started our life over with like a bag of clothes each and like the couple things that I knew were important to them. And I grabbed some photo albums and that was it. Mm-hmm. And all that other stuff over the months was gone. I was never able to pick it up or get it. Even though I had court orders to do so, he just wouldn't let me do it. And then the house was foreclosed and all that stuff was dropped. Wow. So I literally, like, had to start, like, completely over. Like, after 11 years of marriage, my kids and I started over with everything. And let me tell you, like, I used everything that I learned in early recovery Mm -hmm. to get through that first year gone. Um, So now it's been been about a year and a half, I guess, since I've I've been in New Jersey because I was living in Maryland for a while. Oh, yeah? And uh, I moved up. Where in Maryland? Yeah, I was, in, I was in Calvert County. Oh, okay. Huh. I was in, uh, yeah, I was in Chesapeake Beach for a while. That's actually when I left. I left Maryland and I came up to New Jersey to, to my childhood home. Oh, okay. Where my parents live. And, you know, I had to humble myself and, and accept help that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. And, like, thank goodness for recovery, right? Because being around people in recovery taught me everything I needed to know to get through this life situation, right? Like recovery for me wasn't just about learning how to get and stay clean. It was also learning how to, how to get through, you know, hard stuff in life. Yeah. You know, life on life's terms, I say it's not easy. And so when things come up, like I know what to do because I'm in recovery. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, probably the hardest thing is, like, having to admit, like, I started over with nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said, we're living in my parents' house. And, you know, my kids, it's been trauma. It's been this, like, I had, I, within that same couple months after I came up here, like, my, my next-door neighbor passed away. And, like, I had found her body. I wasn't sure. Oh. Like, I had, she she was, she died from a direct result of this disease. Oh. And uh, she she had drank and she fell asleep and she bled. She actually bled out because she had had surgery and I didn't know. And I went over and like tried to feel for a pulse. Like I was, it was like literally like she, it wasn't even like a pleasant, it wasn't like, oh, she fell asleep in her, you know, and then died. Like, no, like I thought she was alive. I thought we could revive her until I flipped her over. Like it was traumatic. Oh God. And I got through that in recovery. Yeah. You know, like my grandfather passed away who who I was very close with and like I got through that because of recovery. Like everything I learned in like through other people in this process. Like I found that by having a network of people who have been through like all different sorts of things, mm-hmm. I'm never alone in anything. Like do you know that there's other people who have found dead bodies? Like, it sounds crazy, but I wasn't alone in that. Yeah. You know, like, I found other people who went through that experience who could be like, no, feeling that way is normal. Mm-hmm. Like, I needed to know that the way I was feeling when going through things was not was not so strange, you know? Yeah, that we're not alone and we're not crazy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so today, like I would say today in recovery, regardless of how my life looks on the outside, like it, my life may look like chaos, right? I'm, I'm living with my parents. I'm not making enough money to support myself and my kids on my own. You know, like I going through, we're still not officially divorced. Like we have all this court stuff, you know, like there's all these things. But Today, like, I wake up every day and I'm, like, happy and grateful for life. Mm -hmm. And I mean that. Like, 
it doesn't matter what I have on the outside. Like, what I have on the inside is, like, this sense of serenity that I haven't had in a very long time. Mm. And it's because I actually took all the things that I learned from people in recovery and applied it to my life. Yeah. Not just the staying off the drugs part. Absolutely. Mm. You know? Because mm-hmm. I stayed off the drugs for, for, at the time, before I left Maryland, I stayed off drugs for five years. That wasn't my problem at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to use what I learned to do that just fine. It was, it was how to make my life be more manageable, how to get through, like, day-to-day stuff, you yeah. know? So, like, now, I would say, like, today, like, I'm happy. Like, today, I have a sense, and, and I like to... I do what I can to help others through the process of recovery because I know it's not easy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's kind of like my story up till now. I, I wanted to make sure I don't ramble because I, I have a tendency to do that. No, that's perfect. No, 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 no not at all. All right. <laughs> so uh, we got we got some questions well, for yeah, you. Yeah, lots sure. of questions. So, David, first. Um, sure. Um, okay, so you talked about sort of... Um, that fear of like getting out of that relationship and um you you related to that to like recovery like oh i'll I'll leave next week so like how um how important is it like to really like um build up like a a sense of courage in yourself to make that change because like when we're using drugs like we we have that mentality like oh we'll get clean tomorrow we'll stop using tomorrow we'll stop doing this tomorrow and it's just constantly living in a state of fear and then at what point does that courage like overtake that fear and you just snap and make that change yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, like for me, when I first got clean, as I said, it was all kind of like everything clicked. Mm-hmm. You know, like that one moment I was ready, I had an opportunity for help. I think one of the things that helps with gaining courage is knowing that there's a lot of options for help. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people know, like, all the places and resources out there for people who are hurting, yeah. who are still sick and active addiction, because I felt like I had made some options, but I didn't know where to go. Like, I knew I needed help, and I couldn't do it by myself. But besides, like, you know, community programs or 12-step fellowships where I had known, um, I didn't know other options mm-hmm. at the time. And I think that just having, like, knowing that there is there is choices, right? There is ways and there are people who know. And just, I it took me a long time to realize that the fear of the unknown is is really just in my head. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, like yeah. that What is, I mean, seriously, what could possibly be worse than waking up every day in withdrawal and then needing to use drugs that could potentially kill you all day long just not to be sick? Mm-hmm. What really is worse than that? Yeah. Like, there's no risk. There's no risk in doing something else. Mm-hmm. You know, like, even if you go to get help and it doesn't work, like, it's recognizing the fact that the risk is continuing to do what you're doing. Yeah. You know, like, I was risk- it, the risk was what I was doing each day, not yeah. the getting help part, even if the getting help didn't work. Like, mm-hmm. all right, well, I'm not, I'm definitely not worse off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think it's funny how we convince ourselves that like the dangerous situations that we put ourselves in day to day are less scary than this idea of like doing something different. Yeah. Hmm. I actually never really thought about that. And that's actually, that actually helped me a lot. (laughs) All right. Eric, what do you got? Um, okay. So kind of, uh, I'll, I'll do this for, I'll, I'll just kind of go in order with these questions. Um, so Calvert County, uh, kind of very rural. Oh yeah. Um, so I guess getting clean there. My question is, what difficulties were presented in getting clean in a small area? And like, um, oh, you know, like I mean, where we we're in Baltimore. Yeah, that's a big question. So yeah, how how was it? Like, yeah. what are the difficulties of that? Yeah. So it was yes, it was hard. Um, it's funny actually because. When I got clean, the rehab I went to was, like, over an hour away, and mm. that was, like, the closest one. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, um, because I actually went to a rehab, like, in Virginia, so it was, I mean, 
not that it's that far from Tyler County, but it's far enough. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, like, you know, even stuff like 12-step recovery programs, like, your, your options are limited. Mm-hmm. But what I found was is that the programs that there were there and the, and the types of meetings that there were there were more opening to to anybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whereas in, in, like, the areas where I am now, like, your options for meetings in different programs are, like, endless, you know? Like, I'm in a super populated area in central Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, your options for things are endless. But in Calvert yeah. County, because your options are small, like, it didn't matter if you went into to a particular recovery program and used the wrong language or spoke about things that were not quite what they usually speak about, like, places were pretty welcoming because they were just glad to see people trying to get help. Mm-hmm. So it, it was like an understanding that since it was a more rural community and like, you know, you, it's grateful. Luckily, and then people started stuff, you know, like I, I, um, I got very involved in the recovery community and I tried to let people know like what was around and, and how to find it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I found that there was a lot of people trying to do that. So there's, it's, and I've heard, besides just Calvert County, I've talked to people who are even more rural areas than that. And, like, the other option is there's always things online. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of online recovery programs, like multiple different ones that are really great. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of groups. So, like, there's always options for recovery regardless of where you live. It's just a matter of finding them. Yeah. All right. I want to piggyback off that one. Um, so, like, pretty much... Uh, pretty far into your recovery like as it stands now like five years in you have made all these um relationships and like set down some roots in calvert county and then you're sort of uprooted and transplanted to a different recovery network so how hard was it to really um plug yourself back in and develop new relationships where you are now so plugging myself back in to the actual like recovery programs and the recovery community was super easy because mm-hmm. I had traveled all the time and so I was I got involved in recovery programs regardless of where I was at the time, you know, and yeah. because my family's up in New Jersey, I had been to some of the stuff that's up here. Okay. But what was really, really hard was uh developing relationships again. Mm-hmm. Because I did feel very much like you know, when I left Calvert County, like, there were some people that I talked to or some people who reached out to me online, but I literally, like, up and disappeared one day. Mm-hmm. And I was, and people knew because, like, the few people who knew, like, they talk or in a rural area, so everybody knows. So it's not like oh, they yeah. thought something happened to me. Like, people kind of figured it out, but I I felt, like, hurt that more people didn't, like, reach out. And then... Mm. I felt like I had made friends both in recovery and out of recovery for years down there. And, yeah. like, I was resentful. I didn't want to make new friends. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't want to have to, like, get a new sponsor or new program people or, or whatever, right? Like, even yeah. if, like, I, getting a new anything, like, I was resentful that I had to because I didn't do, I didn't move by choice. And then I had to remind myself, like, yes, you did, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it was hard. Like the the getting integrated in the programs were easy. Getting integrated with the people was much harder. But mm-hmm. I've done much better at it recently. <laughs> All right. Good. Yeah. That's hard. That is like I get it. That's yeah. really hard. Yeah. Eric's done a move middle of recovery and yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Um, it is hard. I didn't make it though. So you're you're doing a little bit better than me. Um, but. Let's see. I mean, you made it sound really dark. I mean, you lived. I am dark, yeah, though. That's true. We've talked about this. <laughs> I am dark. Um, no, I lived. I just didn't. My recovery didn't make it. Yes. Right. Okay, there we that, go. That. That. Yeah. Yes, my your clean, clean time. My, didn't my clean survive. time did not survive that move. Yeah. Um, so I guess. Um, but no, going. I think a lot of people's clean time doesn't survive. It's big, you know, big situations, and that's why I was so like. It was so important for me to get plugged in as I moved because there was so much trauma surrounding. It wasn't just a move, right? Yeah. It was like a move and a divorce and, you know, all this stuff. And I made sure I got really, really plugged in and I cried all the time. And people carried me through that. Like, mm-hmm. I could not have done that clean alone. Yeah. Like, no way. That's awesome that people did that, though. That's yeah. great. Um, yeah. So, I guess, sticking with your relationship, then... Um, 
I guess you know you're you're talking a lot about unmanageability in that relationship, and mm. you know you're you're kind of you know it, I mean what you said it was over the course of eleven years and like the last few years when you got mm-hmm. back with your husband it was it just kept getting worse. Did you kind of work a first step on that relationship to get to the point where you were ready to leave? Ooh. That's it. I love how you phrase that. Yeah, yeah I, I think if I'm looking at it, like, that's exactly what what I did. Um, I don't know that I would have phrased it that way at the time, but mm-hmm. that's essentially what I did. Because, you know, I was trying to control the situation. You know, I was trying to mm. essentially, like, fix him or get him to get the help that he needed mm. and, you know, make changes and stuff. And... um I can tell you the unmanageability and the fact that I was completely powerless came to me actually in a situation that happened a week before I left. Um, I went to pick up my son in D.C. Mm-hmm. And from, he was at like parkour camp. And That's it was a awesome. summer, you know, right. it, was like a, it was literally a week before. Hold on. Did you, and, you said parkour? Uh, like, like parkour? Like, yeah. There's camps for that? <laughs> yeah, there totally are. It's like in a gym, That's and they amazing. teach like little kids how to like climb walls and jump and all sorts of things. It was super fun. Uh, okay, sorry. You can, I am. I'm so jealous so, of your son. Right yeah, now. we're we're both like looking at each other right now. Like that's the coolest thing ever. But yes. continue your story. Sorry, that like. I guarantee you they have them in Baltimore. I'm totally sure they do. I'm too old now. I'll I'll break something. (laughs) No way. They have adult classes. You can do it. (laughs) Oh, man. But, um, yeah, so I picked him up in D.C., and I was parked on one of those roads. It's like a a shoulder during the day, but at rush hour it becomes a lane. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to, as soon as we walked out, like, it changes. So it's one of those, like, I'm parked up until exactly when it's time to drive. And, um... I go to drive and my car broke down mm. and I had called their father and I was my, I had left my daughter at home cause she was old enough to be home alone and I was just driving to pick him up and coming back. So I called him and said like, Hey, I'm stuck on the side of the road. Like I need help. And he wouldn't come oh, and wow. he wouldn't help me. And it was 95 degrees. I was in sweatpants cause I literally was like running in to get him and back. He had stopped giving me any kind of money. He, like, wouldn't let me touch any of the money. So I had no money on me, like, no money for water, like, nothing. And he left us there for over eight hours. Oh, my God. Before he decided he had to come get us. And my daughter was home alone, and he never got home after work. I don't even know where he was, but he didn't show up at home until, like, 930 that night. Mind you, I called him at 4. He went home at, like, 9.30. He didn't pick my son and I up from... We had to get, like, a tow truck to bring the car someplace. He didn't pick us up from the car dealer until 12.30 at night. Oh, my God. So we spent eight and a half hours, literally, on the side of the road. And the day he picked... Like, he came and he picked us up. He had brought my daughter. And she didn't eat. My son hadn't eaten, you know. And we were super thirsty because we've been in 95 degrees for eight hours with no water and no nothing. And he, and he has, like, a super cold soda he just bought at the gas station, like, in the car. And I was like, oh, can I have a sip of that? You know, and he was, and he said no. Oh, my God. And that it was his. And that I could have something when we get home. And I remember being like, this is unmanageable. This is not, this is not. That's not okay. That was, like, the moment for me when I realized I am powerless over this situation. I am never, I never want to feel like this again. Yeah. Because, like, you talk about being powerless. <laughs> when you're stuck mm-hmm. on the side of the road with your kid for so much time with no money and no no options, and this person has, you know, like, it, you rely on your partner to be your partner. Yeah. And, like, it, did, it that was, like, so it was, that was, like, one of the final things for me because, like, the unmanageability and powerlessness became really, really clear in that situation. Yeah. Mm. All right, I got a question to sort of piggyback off that, and I'm sure I'm stealing it from Eric. Um, how much in, like, recovery and then in a um, – or well, first of all, in, like, addiction and then following up into recovery, um, did you see any patterns of, like, codependency? Yeah, Eric's shaking his head. Um, was the, And was sort of like – was sort of like a codependence um, an issue as to, like, why you couldn't get out? 
Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, through my addiction, but even more in my recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest problem for me throughout, like one of the reasons that it was super hard to leave is because he was a, a wounded soldier and because he had really helped me through the beginnings of my recovery. Yeah. I felt like I owed him Ooh. to stick around while mm. he was trying to get his stuff together. Yeah. You know, like while he was recovering, because he was recovering from being off super high doses of fentanyl for like a really long time. Oh, wow. And, they, you know, it had done, he was over, yeah, he was over prescribed fentanyl uh, for about three years, I think. Mm. And, you know, his doctor was making money. I forget it. We can talk about that for like hours. Oh, but, I'm sure. But they, there's all sorts of stories about that on the news, I think. But, mm -hmm. um, but so he had been overprescribed for a while. So when he had gotten off, um, there was a lot of damage. And although it changed his personality and he became a different person, like I felt really obligated to stick around and try to like help him through it and like help him get, you know, get the help he needed because he did help me get help. Yeah. And it took a long time to realize that he didn't, he didn't want it. And yeah. It, once we left, like, now he's, like, I think he's getting the help he needs now. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was, like, the bottom he needed. But, like, we're both totally okay and moving on with our lives, like, being apart. Like, you know, like, Good. I have, I started dating, he started dating. Like, we're both, like, we're co-parenting, like, things, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, that's what's best for us. Yeah. Because we were in a sick relationship for a long time. And, mm -hmm. like, it just. There'd be very little way that we could have gone back to any type of healthy relationship together. But, you know, at least we can both recognize that. Yeah, that's great. So I guess um, <clears throat> kind of like talking about the relationship and um, kind of like healthy relationships, you know, that story you kind of brought up that's kind of traumatizing. And you talked about the trauma in your relationship. Now, since you're dating now and... Um, you know, moving forward with new relationships, mm. what sort of boundaries do you put up when a relationship starts to make sure Ooh. that, you know, this won't happen again? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's, it's funny because I can, I can definitely answer that <laughs> because <laughs> I actually did that very, uh, so I, the person I've been dating, I've actually been dating a little over a year now mm -hmm. and, um, but it's, constantly reevaluating boundaries for both of us mm -hmm. but i'm so much clearer on them now than i ever was are they in recovery uh, as well so the first thing yes the first thing for me was it had to be somebody who understood recovery and like that recovery comes first so mm -hmm. they have over five years clean um and so they are and they're very involved in recovery um <laughs> that's actually we met in in a recovery program mm -hmm. so and it's funny because like we but we've set up boundaries that like we don't say things like you need to call your sponsor or oh, yeah. we don't talk about each other's step work and stuff with each other. Like we, we keep our recovery separate, but we both understand that it, it's first. The other thing is, is I told him that my children's needs have to come before, before his. Yeah. Right. Like my, I have to put my kids first. Mm -hmm. And like, he was totally understanding about that. Cause that was something that I felt like wasn't happening in my past relationship. Yeah. I felt like my attention was constantly to helping my, you know, my husband get through whatever his next trauma was and not, and I was constantly putting my kids on the back burner and I never wanted to do that again. Yeah. And so, you know, just things like that. Like I'm very open about how I feel and, the reality is, is that, like, I went through a lot of trauma that, like, I didn't realize was trauma until I was out of it. Mm -hmm. And so there are times where, like, he'll say something and he'll, in in a tone, like, not even being mean, but just say something in a tone that surprises me and it scares me and I'll cry. Oh. Because, like, I was in a really abusive relationship. So even though I didn't, I didn't, be, you know, let me tell you, I didn't view the relationship as abusive at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't until after I was out and I went, you know, and I, I really worked through a lot of the situations that happened that I realized that. But I, at the time, I didn't know that. Like, I thought what I was dealing with was just normal. Yeah. Um, and so, but there's times where, like, he'll get around or he'll do something and it scares me. Like, one time, like, um, just to give you a, a situation, like, we were joking around and, like, I don't know, I pushed him or I hit him. Like, we were, like, joking and he... Yeah. And he stopped, got real serious, and he's like, I don't like that. You need to leave now. And he was kidding, right? But I didn't see that. Uh. I saw somebody that was 
upset with me making you leave. And I guess he saw my face, like, immediately change. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, my goodness, okay, that was too far, and I'm sorry. That was a joke. I can see why that was upsetting. I, I, And, you know, he's very understanding of the fact that I come from that type of relationship where, like, those things happen. Mm -hmm. And so he's careful, you know, but it's because when those things happen, like, we talk them through. Yeah. Not every relationship's going to be perfect. We don't get along with everything. We don't even agree on everything recovery-related. Yeah. But, like, we understand that we don't have to. Mm-hmm. We just have to, like, respect each other's opinions, you know? We have to look at each other in, in a sense of equality. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I have some, like, you just referenced something that Eric's going to hate me for because, um... And so what you said was like sort of um, being in your surroundings and not really necessarily knowing that it was abusive. And one of my favorite quotes is the fish in the bowl doesn't know that it's wet. And like what I take that to mean is like we're so close to our surroundings in recovery and and uh, certainly like in active addiction, but in recovery, like. Um, when we're in in certain feelings or thinking a certain way, we can't necessarily see it for ourselves. So, how important it, is it to like constantly like remain vigilant on your uh, like direct surroundings and bring people into those surroundings to help you like figure things out? Yeah. So I would say like being vigilant is great, but no matter how vigilant I am, like, I can't see everything. Like, as you said, what's important for me is letting other people in. What I started doing at the end, right, for, like, the last year or so before I had left that relationship is I stopped telling people what was happening. Mm. I stopped really, like, I would reference things, but I very much glossed over them and made it sound like like things were fine, like things weren't a big deal. Yeah. Very, there was only one or two people in my entire life who I let in in any way, and even they didn't know, like, the full extent of mm-hmm. what they knew was enough for them to be worried, you know. But I think had I let more people into the full extent, like, my, I have a younger sister, mm-hmm. and, you know, I always call her, the, she's three and a half years younger than me, and I always call her, you know, she's the baby, I'm the older sister, right? Yeah. And she always, when I first left, she... She actually, my sister never cries. She never gets emotional. Mm-hmm. And she was in tears uh, sharing with other people, actually, in my family, and saying that had the situation been reversed, mm-hmm. I would have drove down in my car, put her in it, and said, we're leaving, like, yeah. Yeah. waved the middle finger to her husband and took off, yeah. right? And she was like, because she was the baby sister, like, she couldn't do that. But, like, that yeah. was the situation. Like, that's how bad it was for the people who knew what I let them know. Mm-hmm. And I think that had I let more people into what was happening, like, I would have seen it more. Yeah. You know, like, I would have, I, I made, I'd like to think that I would have been more willing to change. But when it's only a few people that know what's going on in your life, it's so easy to be like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Like, I'm not that sick. The household's not that sick. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do, right, even if you're not. If people aren't there today... I surround myself with people who can call me out with, with whatever, yeah. you know, like, and I don't get upset for people if they call me out on my shortcomings because mm-hmm. I need people to do that. I don't ever want to be back in a situation where I'm pretending my life is fine when it's not. Yeah. All right. What you got, Eric? So yeah, that's what we did. That's what I did during active addiction, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like we kept like so much of our using like so close to the vest and we didn't let those people in. So we didn't have that accountability um, with ourselves and with other people exactly. to, to recognize that we had a problem. Right. Exactly. So, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. you're good. Uh, the next question though is kind of, I guess, so it's related to this, um, what you were just talking about, but you're talking about a lot of trauma. Um, hmm. And, you know, I mean, I guess fellowship programs, you know, they, I mean, they can go a long way, but, you know, when you, there's certain things that, you know, I guess if we're going to be using like program speak, you know, are outside issues, I guess, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you process trauma? And do you do that, you know, through therapy or, you know, what methods are you using to process that? So I was in therapy when I first left. Um, I got, I had 
specifically gotten hooked up through like domestic violence programs. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, that happened through the courts. Oh, wow. Um, when I had come up and I had I had to file like stuff for the kids and stuff for courts, like they immediately, I happened to be in a county that was real, their courts were very strict about domestic violence type issues. And as soon as they got wind of anything that was essentially domestic violence related, like they weren't, they wouldn't even see your case until you talked to like a domestic violence lawyer and they hooked you up with all the resources there were, you know? Nice. So, which was lucky at the time because it opened doors to, you know, I, I went there and then I went to private therapy. I did all that stuff. Um, but I would say what's been actually the most helpful for me, and this is just for me, is finding other people in recovery who have been through similar trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that there's a lot of people in recovery who have been through traumas, and I feel like no matter what the situation is, like my, my the per, you know, like my sponsor is um, is somebody who's been through domestic violence trauma, and. You know, there's a reason that I I try to turn to people who have the same because I didn't realize how much those situations changed me as a person. Yeah, mm-hmm. it changes it changed my response to things. It's the same way like recovery changes you, right? Like once you get introduced to recovery, you find that like your language changes, your reactions change. You know, oh, yeah. and the same thing with the trauma. Like trauma changed my responses to things and my reactions to things, and so. I needed to surround myself with people who understood that. So when those things happen, because they're still confusing, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, sometimes I respond in ways and I can't tell you why I'm responding that way. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'll have something like that will trigger a feeling about something. It's the same way, like, when you get triggered to want to use and you're not really sure why. Yeah. It's good to have somebody else to talk to and, like, go through step by step, like, what happened. And then often they're like, oh, well, of course you were triggered to use. You just watched that movie that you used to use to, you know, like, Mm -hmm. whatever. But sometimes we can't see it ourselves. And so surrounding myself with people who have who are in recovery and have been through similar traumas has been incredibly helpful. Nice. That's cool. All right. Um, I have a question. So you have uh, two children. Was that right? Yes. Okay. And yes, I do. You grew up in a recovery household. Now they're sort of growing up in a recovery household. How much have you, like, thought about or do you worry about the possibility of, like, addiction being a genetic thing and then facing that in their lives? And, like, what do you do to, um, I don't know, educate them uh, about addiction and, like, possible risks in their lives going forward? So it's funny. I actually I made a video on this uh, that's on my YouTube channel, and mm-hmm. I talk about this specific issue because it was one of the reasons, actually, that I started making videos is I felt like some of the experiences I had were probably questions that came up a lot. So mm-hmm. I talk regularly to my kids about addiction. In fact, what's the funniest time for me is when the kids have, like, dare week or yeah. drug awareness week or whatever, mm-hmm. and they always come home, and they're like, my teacher knows nothing. She doesn't <laughs> know, and then like, they start spouting things off, right? So my kids have been coming to meetings with me for as long as they remember. Mm-hmm. Um, they're 12 and 9 now, so they were 6 and 3 when I started. Okay. <laughs> so they've been coming a lot. They, they know, you know, <laughs> you bring them into a fellowship and they know all the readings, they know all the whatever, you know, like oh, they're yeah. very comfortable with that. And yeah. so we talked very much about what addiction is and that it's genetic and that, you know, I, I have a relationship with my kids today that's very, very open. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're young, like they talk to me about anything and they know that they can ask me anything and I always answer them. Like, I'm not sure I have the same relationship with my kids that a lot of their friends do. I'm, mm-hmm. I think I'm a much younger mom. Um, so I'm 35 and my daughter's 12. A lot of the uh, mm-hmm. parents in her class are like significantly older than me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's the age that, you know, that I had her when I was in my early 20s or what, but I don't know. Like my kids are very much like every day, like if something happens with their friends, like they're like, they'll come in and be like, this is what happened. What do you think I should do? You know, like they're, they're both pretty yeah. open with me. So we discuss addiction, you know, we discuss what that means. And, you know, the way I've explained it to them is like, you know, this, the way that they take cough medicine where they're sick and they, I give them a teaspoon. If that's what it says, they take it and they're fine. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I explained to them that if I take a teaspoon of cough medicine, my brain tells me that it's not enough. 
Yep. And the problem is my brain will let me drink that entire bottle mm-hmm. and still think I need more. Yeah. And I take so much, like, I would get sick, mm-hmm. right? And oh, so yeah. I have to make sure with things like cold medicines, I follow the instructions on the bottle no matter what my brain says. I just trust the directions oh, yeah. because my brain can make me confused. Mm-hmm. And so they ask me all the time, like, do they have to, do I think that they're going to be, you know, addicts? And I was like, well, the best way to make sure you're not is to just never use drugs, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you don't have to worry about being addicted to drugs if you don't pick them up. But, you know, like, that's, I try to have realistic expectations, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I didn't grow up knowing anybody who didn't try drugs at some point, who yeah. didn't try alcohol at some point. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, I, I also talk about things in a way where, like, I expect that as they get older that they're going to try things, right? But yeah. So what I try to do with them is I try to and I try to talk to them about waiting till later ages. Yeah. As opposed to saying you should never do drugs, you should never smoke pot, you should never drink alcohol because that's to me that's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather know when my kids do these things or if there's a problem that they call me mm-hmm. or if there's a you know what I mean that we yeah. keep open communication. So I say things like you should probably wait until you're in college before you drink. You should probably wait till you're in college before you do this. It'll be, you know, like, if you do it younger than that, you're just more likely to get in trouble and get sick and be grounded. Like, who wants that? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, I make things, the conversation is very easy. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. What you got, Eric? <clears throat> I have one more question. Um, so, okay. you were saying when you guys left... That um, when you left your husband, you ha- you had like one bag, a few things. Like each of you had a bag. You each had a few things, and you left everything else there. Um, and this is a question, you know, I guess kind of about how how your kids would feel, but also about how you would feel because I mean that's your life that you're leaving behind. And I mean, I'm trying to think of how to word this, but you know is. I, I don't want to say attachment because we do have attachment to like our material possessions, but you know, when you just lose your whole life like that, I mean, that's a, that's kind of a trauma in itself. Um, how, yeah. I mean, how did you yeah, guys process that? I lost a lot of stuff. Uh, we're still processing it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things that'll come up. Um, like, I guess one of the things I've been talking about, I used to collect the Monopoly board games. Oh, cool. And, nice. um, I had, like, a whole bunch of different ones. I had ones from different countries. Like, I had... A, and, like, obviously, that wasn't something I could take with me. Yeah. And... Not a priority. So I, I must have been talking about it. Yeah. And so I must have been talking about it a lot because this year for Christmas, between my kids, my family, my boyfriend's family, him, I ended up with, like, 12 monopolies. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of nice, the idea that, like, you know, I, I can't replace what I lost, but, like, it doesn't, it is just stuff, you know? And, like, my kids lost all their toys. My kids, we, their their dad was making some bank, you know? Like, we lived, the house we lived in in Calvert County was, like, a half a million dollar home. Like, mm-hmm, they had, yeah. those kids were spoiled rotten. They had <laughs> all sorts of stuff, and it was all left behind. Yeah. So, you know, like, my son will be like, well, I, I did have that Lego set, but not anymore, you know, like those things come up a lot and, Mm. you know, we do have to talk through it and, and a lot of what we do, it's funny because a lot of what I do with them is stuff I learned in recovery. So when they start getting too upset about things, I let them be upset. I let them share their feelings. And then when it's no longer productive and everybody's like repeating themselves, whatever, then we switch and I'm like, okay, it's time for gratitude. Let's, let's go. And then we go around. Usually this happens when we're driving. But we'll go around, like, I'll name something I'm grateful for that my daughter will, that my son will. And we keep nice. going until we run out of things. And it, it generally the mood changes before we run out of things that we're grateful for. So is, know, that, but a gr- is that your car game? Is the yeah, gratitude kids, list game? Yes. yes. That's literally what we do in the car. When they, we tend to talk a lot in the car because we do, I don't know why, we do a lot of road trips, I guess. But um, whenever things are down, whenever they're talking negatively, like, we always go to like the gratitude thing like always like it's a regular like sometimes like my daughter will be like I don't want to talk about what I'm grateful for and I'm like that's fine your brother and I will and we'll start going and then she'll just jump in and start getting results anyway I love that so much that's very cool love that so much okay totally off the recovery like this is a fun question 
What do you think is the most va- valuable properties in Monopoly? Like, which ones do you which ones do you covet? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. That that is funny. Uh, so most people go for like the the Boardwalk Park Place. Yeah. But for me, the ones that I like are the yellow and the green. Okay. All Those right. are like if you have if you have the yellow and the green corner there, like you're set. I also play with house rules. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which make it a little bit more fun. So, like, if you roll snake eyes, you get $500. If you land on glow, you get $500. So, it, there's a lot more money. And yeah. also, the best house rule to play with is that uh, when you're trying to exchange properties with somebody else, like, all bets are good. It's, like, all exchanges are fine. If you want to give me, if, I, if I'm going to give you my property and you're going to clean the kitchen for a week, that's totally cool. You know? Oh. So, uh, <laughs> Wow. So it makes it a bit more fun. But yeah, I used to love to collect them, and so now I, I have the start of a collection again, so I'm kind of excited about that. Nice. What, what, what's your go-to, Eric? What, what, what? color? What color? Oh, God. It's, uh, it's around uh, free parking. Which ones are those? Um, they're the orange. That's, that's, the, oh, that's, that's the, the green and yellow. Is that green and yellow? I thought that was around uh, go to jail. Uh-huh. No, because no, jail, jail is on the all... opposite side of go. That's the orange and red. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mine. Mine is the light blue, Oriental, right there. Oh, light blue. Oh yeah, the light blue. Right when yeah. you're right when you're getting started. For some reason, like I've always loved those. You can build them up. You can put houses and hotels. They're quick. They're, they're quick. quick. they're quick money. They're not. They're not. Yeah, the, they are quick. They're not the upper middle class greens. They're more of like the lower middle class <laughs> blue collar guys. But I'll tell you, I've done some work with Oriental for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right. Um, all right. Uh, I have, I think, two more questions. Cool. All right. Um, so how has your addictive behavior manifested itself in recovery? Like what sort of stuff has sort of cropped up um, as, as your new addiction as a way to like fill the void? Uh, well, I'll tell you, it's funny because like it can, my addiction can show itself in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, the one way that's been most prevalent recently that I have, and not even recently over the last year that I constantly have to be vigilant about is trying to like control my boyfriend, trying to like, like assert my control over his life. And like, it's so unnecessary, first of all, because like. He's, like, a happy-go-lucky guy. Like, he does his own thing. Like, But, like, I'll get jealous. Even though, like, let's say, like, tonight, I'm I'm probably hanging up with you guys and, you know, doing some stuff with the kids, and I'm going to bed early tonight, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what will happen is, is that he's not probably going to go to bed early tonight. So he may go to, like, go to a meeting somewhere, go out to eat, do something, and I'll be jealous. Mm-hmm. And I'll be, be like, because you're you get to go out with your friends, and he's like, but you're sleeping. Yeah. Like, do you want me to come there? And I'll be like, well, no, because I'm going to be sleeping. But I don't want you to go out and have fun either. Uh. You know. <laughs> and it's realizing how insane that sounds, mm-hmm. right? Like he's not going out doing anything bad. He's like going to the diner with a couple of guys from recovery, right? Like it's yeah. not. I'm not really that crazy, but mm-hmm. it feels like the whole like, well, it's just a. The control, the jealousy, the the insecurities, you know, like, and it comes up. And, you know, it's just a matter of recognizing, like, I'm being a little crazy, you know? Like, I'm being, I'm, that's not me, right? Like, I'm not yeah. a jealous girl. Like, that's never been who I am, so why am I acting that way, you know? And that's mm-hmm. kind of how my addiction presents itself. I don't obsessively eat. I don't obsessively shop. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't have, like, I'm very plugged into recovery, so mm-hmm. for most things I'm pretty okay in my like day-to-day life to make sure that like my addictive behaviors aren't taking over but I would say that in a relationship it it rear their it rears its head like a lot more often than I'd like nice all right great answer okay um and have you worked you have you worked all 12 steps so I haven't um we worked things way slower in Calvert County because we were super rural Mm -hmm. so like um, I didn't even know anybody who had worked all 12 steps when I lived in Copper County. Oh, wow. Really? Um, really? We were just a much smaller area. Yeah, yeah. So people worked like, you know, like I had gotten up to step three. My sponsor was on five. Hers was on seven. Hers was on 10. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like 
it was a, a much slower because you couldn't pass your sponsor, so everything was slower. So when I moved yeah. this year, I started over. So I'm I have now worked all twelve, but it's a really good reminder to me that I need to work a little harder on getting through them because I can work through them much faster up here. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, and I need to get on that. <laughs> so, of the steps you've worked, which one uh, was like the has been your favorite so far? Um, I think three. Mm-hmm. Three is been my favorite, and it's because the it's the one I think is the, the next to one where they say use it every day. But yeah. I would say step three to me is the most helpful on a day to day basis. Yep. And for me, it's the idea that like the things I can't control, I need to just let go. Mm-hmm. Right. Like. Yep. The best when we were trying to buy our house years ago, we were trying to get a mortgage and all that other stuff, and we went to a financial person, and they said, "Okay, you need to do this, this, and this, and then you have to wait." Yeah. Right? And so we did the this, this, and this exactly as they said, and then we were just waiting. And mm-hmm. I remember my ex husband at the time was panicking about it. Yeah. And I'm like, "Why are you panicked?" And he's like, "Well, because we don't know." And I was like, "Yeah, but isn't that the greatest part?" Like, we don't, we did what we have to do. Now we just get to, like, turn it over and see what happens. Yeah. Like, to me, being able to turn something over, like, that's not in my control and just wait for the outcome. Like, I find that the outcome is generally good as long as I just stay out of it if I'm supposed to, you know? So I think step three, to me, is the one that helps keep me the most calm on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I'm I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm up to step ten and... So far, three has been like the most pivotal, pivotal in P- my pivotal? life. Pivotal, pivotal. Shut up, Eric. <laughs> don't, don't judge me. Pivotal. All right. Um, I created a new word yep. today. Yeah. Um, do you have any more questions? There Eric? you go. No, no. That was great. No, it was great. All right. Uh, well, Jexy, uh, would you like to? Uh, oh yeah. Give your final. Uh, I don't know. Message to the masses. Like, what do you want to say to like people who are struggling? People who are. Um, uh, need help out there. Absolutely. So what I would say is that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. A lot of, there's a lot more people in recovery and dealing with active addiction right now than you can ever imagine. Yeah. And chances are that you're surrounding yourself by people who are either, who are in recovery and you just don't know it. So mm-hmm. don't be afraid to reach out for help. It's the, the type of help that's out there is endless. Yeah. And usually once you just, like, you literally could, like, probably raise your hand in a supermarket and be like, I'm an addict, I'm ready for help, and, like, somebody would come up to you and be like, I know where you could go. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's probably. That's how prevalent people in recovery are now. And nobody nobody talks about it, and, you know, it's one of the reasons that I got involved in doing what I'm doing now because I want, I want to be a voice for people who aren't able to talk about their recovery so that people know they're not alone. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to be a secret club anymore. And uh, give your give yourself right. a, a plug. Like, uh, give your YouTube channel and all that. Like, where can we find you Yay, for that sort of okay. stuff? You can find me. It's My YouTube channel is According to Jexy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. You can type it in the search engine or youtube.com slash C slash According to Jexy. Um, I have a Twitter account that's according to Jesse that also is linked to my YouTube channel. And, you know, what I do is I just share my experience with addiction and recovery. Mm-hmm. I just share what's going on. I share on a topic. And, you know, I have a really, I've started to meet a lot of people online who are really involved in recovery. And, you know, it's really a great place to be. So I would love for people to come check me out and, you know, stop by, say hello. Absolutely. Definitely. Love it. All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll do our sign-off here. But first, we would uh, like to thank you again for uh, coming and sharing your story with us. Give her a golf clap, Eric. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a really great time. Oh, it was. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for uh, coming on. Mm-hmm. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. 
Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. So follow us on Twitter. Follow our new friend Jexy on Twitter. Follow her on YouTube. We're getting a YouTube channel up and running. Follow us on Facebook. Invite your friends. Subscribe. Blah, blah, blah. Leave us questions stuff, for yeah. sure. Yeah, all that good stuff. Um, and again, according to Jexy on uh, YouTube. Check it out. So, uh, yeah, everybody out there, again, thank you for listening. Everybody else, stay safe, stay clean.